from KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, Uber and Lyft say they'll be forced to suspend their operations tomorrow if a court order isn't delayed. The ride-hailing companies say they're unable to comply with a judge's ruling earlier this month that ordered them to reclassify their drivers as employees by today under state law AB5. We'll look at what's at stake. First, though, we'll check in on the wildfires raging in Northern California. They grew overnight and have forced thousands to flee their homes, with thousands more on alert. We'll also look at the impact the fires are having on air quality and how best to protect your health. That's all next on Forum. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Fire crews are struggling to get a handle on dozens of major blazes across the state that have already caused two deaths, several injuries, and forced thousands to flee their homes. Thousands more remain on alert for evacuation orders. We go first to KQED's Rachel Myro, who's in Half Moon Bay. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Mina. What are you seeing and hearing as this CZU complex fire burns aggressively there? Well, you know, this is the evacuation center for today. Uh, The last couple of days, the evacuation center for San Mateo County on the northern end of the complex, right? There's multiple fires uh, burning in the Santa Cruz Mountains all the way down uh, near the coast. Um, It was at Pescadero High School for two days, but, but because this fire has been marching rapidly north, uh, up to 40,000 acres now. Um, the evacuation center now here in Half Moon Bay. Uh, it is not a shelter. People coming here are being uh, uh, referred to hotel rooms. Because of the coronavirus pandemic, nobody wants to be in a congregate area indoors with a bunch of other folks. Um, you know, we're talking about, uh, for this particular lightning complex, about 25,000 people under, uh, you know, mandatory hmm. evacuation orders or uh, recommend- recommendations to leave the area. Uh, most of those folks will probably find, you know, a shelter with family and friends. Uh, but for those who can't, uh, they're looking at hotel rooms. And for those with animals, I understand in the last hour you've been in touch with the Peninsula Humane Society. What are they seeing? What are they telling you? Well, so they've they've got two shelters at the ready, uh, one in San Mateo at Coyote Point, uh, another in Burlingame. They're, they're taking small animals, not livestock. Uh, that may sound kind of funny when you think of oh, San Francisco Bay Area, but they, there are a lot of rural communities here in yes. this part of the Bay Area. And so so if you've got a horse or a llama, uh, the Peninsula uh, uh, Humane Society can't help you. But, but if you have a cat or a dog that you, you might want to shelter with them uh, for, for up to a month, uh, you might want to give them a call. Uh, Also, they're at the ready uh, with uh, food and supplies for people who might find themselves outside of their homes, you know, uh, needing to feed dogs and cats and rabbits and the like. And as you mentioned, yes, rural areas and also woodland areas, it can be quite rugged. Can you talk about how the terrain is complicating things for firefighters there? You know, this this is a, a huge, massive area, like the other lightning complexes uh, that we're seeing. 
and a lot of it is parkland. Uh, we, we've heard about Big Basin uh, losing its headquarters to, to the fires here. A lot of the parks are now closed. Uh, Google is trying to update, uh, you know, its maps uh, to communicate with uh, with uh, phone users, you know, when they are approaching an area that is actually closed off because the firefighters need the freedom to be able to move around. A lot of the roads are small. So, you know, again, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I'm just going to wait it out until I see flames coming at my house, better to leave early because you want these small mountain roads to be open for emergency personnel. It's very dry terrain, Mina. You know, this this is an area of the Bay Area which has not burned in 50 years. So it's not just that, you know, it's been hot and dry here for the last year. It's that there's just a huge amount of fuel for these fires. And, you know, with with the high temperatures uh, and the winds that you get in the upper elevations, this is a a big, big challenge. and, And fire officials are worried that this could grow dramatically over the next two days. Yes. And talk about the air quality there. I know that it's just been pretty pretty terrible across this region well you know it it was horrendous on the peninsula yesterday and then overnight we had uh, blessed relief uh, at least for us locally in in that we got some clean air but of course that just means that the wind is moving the smoke to somebody else who is now suffering uh, it, i was also down in in san jose yesterday and i understand today again it's the same story terrible terrible smoke i mean you know the the sun is blood red in the sky you know uh it, it almost it almost looks like fog like dirty fog and it's something to bear in mind uh, is that San Jose's situation is worsened by by the fact that it's actually kind of sandwiched between two lightning complexes. So you've got CZU to the west, and then S uh, uh, SCU to the to the east. east. Yes, and yeah, so it, it's just you know breathing there is no fun. Well, you mentioned that the expectation this will burn hard for the next couple of days. I mean, what else can you tell us about expectations, where the worries are, what they're preparing for? Well, you know, one of the things that's just um, unnerving to hear uh, as you listen to the press conferences uh, in the morning and at night is, is how much resources are stretched thin. Um, but it's also just like th- those awful air conditions have made it very difficult um, for the, the folks who are fighting uh, the CZU complex to see what they're looking at, to, to get a sense of where this is and how big it is. And so, so the good news about the air quality improving overnight was they were able to get aircraft up uh, this morning and and gauge where they are. So that's a positive. <laughs> you can't fight what you don't know is happening. Yes. So at, at least that's that's an improvement. But yes. yeah, it's it's just you know, uh, resources are stretched thin of every kind. So yeah, we're we're all going to have to stay alert and and hunker down. And especially you, Rachel. Please do stay safe out there. Of course. Of KQED's Rachel Myro. Thanks for the report, Rachel. Thank you. We're joined now by Danielle Venton, a reporter for KQED Science, who's been following the LNU complex fire burning in the North Bay. Hi, Danielle. Hi, Mina. And what can you tell us about how things have progressed there? 
So this fire is still completely out of control, currently at 0% containment. It's in a couple other areas. This this fire initially started um, in Napa near Hennessy Ridge Road and quickly spread into the Lake Berryessa region. And then, of course, dramatically suddenly blew into Vacaville um, in the middle of the night on Wednesday um, vac- large areas of Vacaville are still under evacuation orders. Other areas are under evacuation warnings. Um, this fire has has destroyed about 105 homes uh, at the latest number and has damaged 70 other buildings. About 25,000 other structures remain. This this complex is also uh, considered or part of the fires burning closer to me uh, in Sonoma County in the broad Russian River area um, are also considered part of this complex. Um, Those are still, that's the Wallbridge and the Woodward fire. I'm sorry, just the Wallbridge fire and the Myers fire. Those are still 0% contained and have triggered uh, huge evacuations. Yes, it really has just gone to show that there are so many fires that it's actually onerous to name them all. And so they are putting them into this complex. But it does also mean that we are talking about massive fires. We mentioned this one category of fires. The other thing, Danielle Benton, is we heard that someone has died while assisting first responders in the LNU fire. Can you tell us anything you know about that? Yes, this is this is so sad. Um, there have been there have been two deaths that we got news of yesterday. One was a PG&E worker who was killed in the course of assisting fire efforts near Vacaville. Um, his name is not being released. He was helping first responders by clearing an area near Gates Canyon to, he was clearing that area of electrical infrastructure to make that safe, but he was found unresponsive in his vehicle um, and was pronounced dead at a local hospital. Uh, Yesterday, we sadly also got news that a helicopter pilot died in a crash while fighting a fire in Fresno County, and he was on a water dropping mission. Um, His name is also uh, not being released. Um, Fortunately, he was the only person in the helicopter um, during the crash, but it is it is incredibly sad to lose two people. Yes, and we also keep hearing of injuries as a result of this fire as well. And so definitely just such dangerous conditions out here as these fires seem to just go off in multiple directions at once, really complicating efforts for firefighters to be able to get a handle on them. Wondering if you know anything about how the fires, sort of the ripple effect that they're having on other things, say on schools, on on uh, medical facilities, things like that? Yes, absolutely. Um, there are widespread school closures in Sonoma County and uh, in schools near Vacaville. Um, n- normal medical services uh, that are crucial right now, like COVID-19 testing, um, have also been suspended um, because of this crisis. Um you know, I, I can tell you this has already been an active fire season, but these fires, just the number of them that have sprouted up all at once because of that incredible, those incredible lightning storms we saw have just stretched resources so thin. I've been listening to the fire scanner um, and, and listen, hearing some of the, the dispatch chatter for the fires near me. And a couple of times I have heard dispatchers say, you know, I'm sorry, I don't have any resources I can send you right now. It's going to be a bit of a wait. So we are just in just this unprecedented time of crisis right now in the state. We're getting the latest on the California fires with Danielle Venden, reporter for KQED Science. We were joined earlier by uh, Rachel Myro, a reporter for KQED as well, who is in Half Moon Bay covering the CZU Lightning Complex 
fire. And we invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. Tell us how you are being affected. We're also going to be talking about the effects on air quality and what you can do to protect yourself. So if you have questions about that as well, the number to call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And Danielle Vendon, you were mentioning just the the number of um, people who have had to flee their homes, people who are on alert for evacuation. I mean, we're hearing, of course, uh, officials saying that residents should have bags packed, their the noses of their cars pointed out of their driveway. Is there anything else that you can give in terms of advice for people who are who are waiting just in case they do get that evacuation order? I mean, absolutely. You know, no. There, there's a set of things that you can pack uh, in a go bag ahead of time, and then there's things that you want to grab out the door as you're walking out the door, everyone should be prepared for the possibility that they would need to evacuate. And KQED has a good resource on that as well if people want to find out what it is that they should be packing in their go bag on our website, kqed.org. It says what to pack in your emergency bag with COVID-19 in mind. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The massive wildfires are darkening the skies with smoke and ash. Even those far from the blazes say they're seeing and feeling the effects of poor air quality. We're joined by Danielle Venton, reporter for KQED Science, and also with us is Erin Demerit. She's Public Information Officer for the Bay Area Air Quality Management District. Welcome to Forum, Erin Demerit. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Also with us is John Bombs, a pulmonologist at San Francisco General Hospital, professor of medicine at UCSF, and professor of environmental health sciences at UC Berkeley. Thanks for being with us as well. My pleasure. Erin Demerit, uh, if I could go to you first, can you give us a sense of how bad the air quality is today in the Bay Area region? Sure. So air quality is differing in from region to region. This morning, air quality from San Francisco down to the peninsula is much improved from yesterday with air quality in the good to moderate range there as breezy onshore winds allowed air quality to improve along those areas overnight. Glad air quality to... in the Santa Clara County is also improving rapidly, um, but Contra Costa County is gonna experience the heaviest impacts today. Contra Costa County. So in terms of resources for keeping track of air quality, which ones are the best ones? You can visit our website directly at baaqmd.gov, and you can also visit AirNow to see current air quality conditions across the region and the state. And what exactly is in the air when we're talking about that smoke and ash? Yeah, so the main ingredient in wildfire smoke is particulate matter pollution, or PM2.5. And even um, short-term exposure can lead to immediate health impacts. Um, even for healthy adults. So it's very important for people to take steps to protect their health. Mm. So in terms of those short-term health impacts, John Bombs, what are those? Hi, John Bombs, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? I can now. 
Yeah. Um, what's best known about PM 2.5, those fine uh, particles that, was, that were just mentioned, is that they can travel down into the deep lung and they can cause inflammation there and also impede the ability to fight infection. So uh, what's best known about wildfire smoke particulate matter is uh, increased risk for people with pre-existing respiratory disease, so exacerbations of asthma or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, that's chronic bronchitis and emphysema, uh, and also increased risk of lower respiratory tract infections, that's acute bronchitis, infectious bronchitis, or pneumonia. And uh, given the COVID-19 pandemic that we're in, we're quite concerned about whether exposure to wildfire smoke can increase the risk of progression from mild COVID-19 to more severe COVID-19 disease. Wow, that's concerning. Let me go to Mackenzie in Mill Valley with a question. Hi, Mackenzie. Hi, I am wondering how essential workers can stay safe today if they're working outside. People working outdoors, uh, Dr. Bombs. Yes, well, Cal OSHA uh, passed an emergency uh, rule last year to uh, try to protect outdoor workers during wildfire smoke episodes. And so when the air quality index reaches 151, uh, which is unhealthy for everyone, uh, that's when uh, employers are required to offer N95 masks to their workers. So that would be all workers that uh, are, are working outdoors. Um, and the reason for that uh, is that outdoor workers breathe more smoke uh, because they're not being able to shelter indoors like the rest of us. And they're often working hard, so they have increased uh, minute ventilation, more breaths per minute, meaning a higher dose of those fine particulates that I mentioned. Hmm. Well, a lot of people have those cloth masks now, especially with statewide orders around COVID-19. Do they offer any kind of protection to the kind of particular matter that you and Aaron are talking about? Actually, not really. Um, they vary in quality in terms of their filtration efficiency. But by and large, most cloth masks protect others from our respiratory droplets. They don't protect very well from uh, the wearer from fine particle exposure. So an N95 respirator is the best protection. Those are are reserved for healthcare workers and other essential workers now. Um, N95s with exhalation valves actually work quite well to protect the wearer from wildfire smoke PM. Uh, and those are still available uh, because in fact, healthcare workers can't wear them because of the exhalation valve. Uh, and then surgical masks, which many people are, are wearing, they provide some protection, not as good as N95s, but cloth masks by and large don't protect against wildfire smoke at all. Well, let me thank Mackenzie for the call and also ask Mackenzie if you're still there, do you have the protection you need? Do you have an N95? I do have an N95 today. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Which leads me to another question then is, how frequently do you need to change an N95 mask in this kind of particulate matter to be safe, given the fact that if you're working outdoors fairly regularly, uh, John Bombs? Well, they're designed for uh, one-day use, uh, but they actually will work longer than one day. Uh, it really depends on how much 
exposure there is. Uh, and while this wildfire smoke, bad air is unhealthy, it's not massive uh, exposure in terms of fine particles. So that, you know, my wife uh, who has asthma and is very careful about uh, wearing N95, she's been using one for a while now, and I think it still works quite well. Um, so if you're, if you make sure that they don't get too dirty, uh, and if the exposure to the particles is not too high, uh, they'll last for a while. Well, best of luck to you, Mackenzie. And uh, Aaron Demerit, uh, John Moms mentioned this number 151, which is when the air quality is unhealthy for everybody. So with the improvements, are you saying basically so far today that the people who are most vulnerable are, are whom? People with more sensitive, like underlying conditions? Yeah, the, piece, the people who are most susceptible to health impacts from air pollution are pregnant women, children, the elderly, and those who have underlying respiratory illnesses. Let me go to Jessica in San Mateo. Hi, Jessica. Join us. Hey, thank you for having me. Sure. What's on your mind? Um, I'm wondering because with all of the coronavirus stuff that's happening right now, for those of us who are kind of getting some weird symptoms, how to differentiate if it's just from the air quality or if we should go and get checked out? Mm, Jessica, such a good question. John Bombs. Ugh. Yes. Um, well, a couple of things distinguish uh, COVID-19 symptoms from wildfire smoke uh, symptoms. Uh, a fever would definitely suggest uh, uh, COVID-19. Um, also, loss of uh, smell or taste is a classic symptom of COVID-19. Uh, coughing could be from either one. Shortness of breath would be more likely to be COVID-19 unless you have underlying respiratory disease, and then the shortness of breath could be exacerbation by the wildfire smoke of that underlying disease. Well, Jessica, thanks for the question. I'm sure it's very much on people's minds given this double whammy of this pandemic and now these fires and the effect that we're feeling in our lungs. I go now to Devin Johnson. Hi, Devin Johnson, join us. Hi there, good morning. Hi, I understand that you had to evacuate from Felton two nights ago? That's right, yeah. Where are you right now? And Felton is, is near Santa Cruz, is that right? That's right. So it's about 25 minutes north. So I drove in to stay at my husband's parents' house, and we're just in this small camper outside their home. And what did you see when you drove in and around you when you when were I, forced to evacuate? It was just really smoky. It's actually um, a lot of what people can see in Santa Cruz now. It's this orange sky and a ton of ash falling everywhere. And I understand that you also have a two-year-old? We do, yeah. And, and how's your two-year-old coping? She has no idea what's going on. She thinks the camper is really fun. And uh, we've been trying to mask the stress and anxiety of this whole thing. So, I mean, the best part is we have family here, which is really lucky for us. So we have people to help us with keeping everything sort of status quo right now. And, uh, well, I, I know exactly what you mean when you say just, just trying to maintain a sense of calm uh, for the sake of your child. I understand too that you have been helping your your neighbors also rescue their animals? Yeah, that's right. So up in Boulder Creek and Felton in the SLV area, San Lorenzo Valley area where the fires are, there's a ton of 
horses and goats and pigs and chickens. They're just really kind of odd animals to get out. So instead of dogs, you can just throw in the car and drive off. People need trailers and special cages. And so um, there's been so many resources all over Facebook where people have been getting people, other folks connected. And um, last night, I guess I'm not entirely sure, but it sounded like a fire jumped over maybe from the embers over to Zayanti, um, which is, you know, east of Felton. And those folks weren't ready to evacuate. There was no formal evacuation. And that's where a lot of horses are. So I had this spreadsheet and was calling people that I knew had trucks and trailers to go up there and help get the horses out. But there's hundreds of people helping right now. There's just an amazing, San Lorenzo Valley is a really amazing place to be. People are Everyone's all hands on deck. So, so far, looking good. Well, and do you know about the status of your home? Um, so we just chose to evacuate early when I saw Boulder Creek was burning because that's pretty darn close to me. It was too close to home, basically. So I left early, but we didn't get the, we got a preliminary, then we got a, a volunteer, a preliminary, and then just this morning was our official must-leave and I had a neighbor put a video up where he's standing like doors down from my home and he can see this purpley red flames. And I watched the video and went, oh, it's here. It's here. So um, I don't think my home is under threat. As of last night, I had a friend go in and rescue my chickens um, that I was going to leave behind thinking that it wasn't going to come down into the valley. And then that case obviously changed. And um, he was, you could hear on the video, this loudspeaker of, the cops saying, you know, I think it was Cal Fire, the cops saying, you must leave. Please leave your homes. This is a mandatory evacuation now. And, I mean, it was all very surreal. So as of last night, I think it's, it's now clear that the homes like mine and my neighbors are probably getting under threat. But so far, well, so far no one knows. No one's saying anything. Yes. We don't know. Yeah. Well, we certainly hope that that is the case, that your home is spared, but also just really appreciate you calling in to tell us what's going on and really wish you wish you the best. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're talking with Aaron DeMeritt, Public Information Officer at the Bay Area Air Quality Management District, John Baum's a pulmonologist at San Francisco General Hospital and a professor of medicine at UCSF and professor of environmental health sciences at UC Berkeley, and Danielle Dunton, a reporter for KQED Science. You, our listeners, are also with us. Oh, I think we just lost our call that I was just about to go to. But this was somebody who was asking Aaron DeMeritt, who was in Santa Cruz, about a place where they could go because the air quality there is pretty awful or a good resource to see where they can go to get to cleaner air? Sure. Um, if possible, we recommend to make a plan to go to a cleaner air location. If you're unable to seal your home, if you're forced to evacuate, or if temperatures don't allow to close your windows and doors. Um, we also recommend that you visit an air cooling center or any building with filtered air. And actually, I believe Michael in Santa Cruz is back. Hi, Michael. I don't know if you just heard that, but anything you want to add that uh, your question needs answering? Hi. Um, so it's, like, really bad in Santa Cruz. Like, I live over at Bay and Mission, like, right in the west side. And um, I'm a UCSC student, and they keep, like, emailing us, like, yeah, we might have to go. I don't really know what to do because my parents live up on Summit Road over in the Santa Cruz Mountains, 
and I don't, they're probably going to have to evacuate too at some point, so it's kind of like, I don't really know where to go, I don't have AC, and it's like really hot in my house, and it's kind of like all around the best down here. Michael, I'm so sorry about your situation. I don't know, Aaron Demert, if you have anything to add. Yeah, it's certainly a troubling situation. Um, just very important to remember that heat does take precedence over air quality. If it's too hot to remain indoors, your best bet is to leave the affected area and find a location that has filtered air available. Uh, well, Nick, I might say... Uh, yes, John Bombs, please. You know, cooling centers um, should be available in Santa Cruz. Uh, it's more of an issue because of the COVID-19 can't. Uh, the cooling centers can't hold as many people because there has to be social distancing. But I'm sure that Santa Cruz has one or more cooling centers, and that's what I would recommend you try to find. You know, sometimes it's a library uh, or other public building. Well, the, Lottie tweets, if we don't have air conditioning, is it better to leave our windows open or closed when we have smoke and ash? Because when it is really hot, we have to open the windows in the evening and morning tips. It sounds like, Aaron, you're saying that... Uh, you know, heat is worse potentially than the air quality in terms of yeah, effects. Yeah, essentially heat will cause more serious health effects before the air quality will. So if possible, protect yourself from high heat before unhealthy air quality levels. Mm -hmm. Nikki writes, we've been hand-washing our masks, and they seem to hold up just fine. It seems better than wearing a dirty mask, and these days with COVID, they're hard to replace. John Bombs, will cleaning the mask, a cloth mask regularly, be help? Uh, no, it won't help uh, in terms of its protection, uh, but it probably won't hurt either. And I understand I clean my cloth mask, too, um, just because they start to smell. <laughs> Um, but it's, it's N95s that one has to be careful cleaning, uh, because if, if they get wet, they get less, uh, they're less effective at filtering out particles, but a cloth mask, you should be able to clean just fine. So then what is the best way if you have to reuse an N95 to clean it? Uh, basically, uh, unless you're working at a healthcare facility where they use approved methods to disinfect N95, you shouldn't try to clean them. Mina, can I, um, can Danielle I jump Vendon, in with, please. A, with a tip? Yeah. Um, I mean, heat is an incredible concern. It's a, it can be very dangerous. Smoke, of course, is also a concern. So this is a time when if you have air cleaners or air purifiers, um, this is really the time to run them. Those can be expensive. And if you have trouble affording um, them, then um, I will tweet out uh, a guide to make your own um, fairly inexpensive DIY air filter using just a box fan and uh, and a simple uh, thin air filter. And I would recommend people compile those, um, construct those to uh, to protect themselves when they're staying indoors. And Aaron Demerit, any other advice just in terms of how to protect yourself even when you're indoors and common mistakes people make? Yeah, it's definitely important to prepare ahead of these events. Um, we recommend creating a clean air room at home by using a non-ozone producing air purifier um, or considering purchasing a MERV 13 or greater filter to be used when these heavy smoke events come in. And Marilee writes, what website has the best list of recommended items to have in a go bag? I've packed and repacked a number of times, but want to take advantage of new learning. And Marilee, I do have to recommend KQED's um, 
list of what to pack in a go bag at kqed.org. And the reason I do is it can also tell you what to pack in your vehicle as well, uh, so that if you need to flee through with your car, that you have things packed in there, provisions, the amount of water, those kinds of things to take into consideration. So I hope that's helpful to you. I want to thank Aaron Demerit, Public Information Officer at the Bay Area Air Quality Management District, for coming on and sharing your insights as well. Thank you, Aaron Demerit. Thanks for having me. John Baum's also a pulmonologist at San Francisco General Hospital, Professor of Medicine at UCSF, and Professor of Environmental Health Sciences at UC Berkeley. Thanks also for coming on with your advice and insights. My pleasure. And Dan- Danielle Venton, reporter for KQED Science. Thanks, Danielle. Thank you, Mina. Thanks to our listeners. For their questions, their comments, and also their stories, we are with you. Stay safe and stay with us.